Hey there, it's a Wet Red Friday edition of the EP Podcast. I'm your host, Austin Horton. Thanks for tuning in. It has been an exciting, incredibly fun week, and we've got NBA basketball coming down the pike. Pipe? Pike? Turnpike? Down the pipe? Whatever. I don't know which one it is. I hear them both, so we'll use both. But boy, it is good news, and I am, for one, very, very excited. We'll talk about all that news surrounding... Uh, the NBA's return. We'll talk a little bit about Drew Brees and his apology, get into a little bit of the details with that. And also, we need to discuss uh, some college football uh, ideas and, and philosophies that are out there about the pandemic and how they might be approaching a, an eventual return or, or hope to start the season on time. We'll see where that takes us today on an EP podcast Friday, where red, where red Friday edition. Uh, before we do that, though, we start each and every day out the same way. We give you the today in sports history update, June 5th, 2020, this day in sports history on June 5th, 1957, Brooklyn Dodgers pitcher, Don Drysdale struck out nine and recorded the first shutout of his career, a four nothing win over the Chicago Cubs at Ebbets field how many wins did Don Drysdale have? Count them. Not one, not two, not three, not four, but 209 wins. Uh, his number was retired, number 53, at Dodger Stadium, July 1st, 1984. Also June 5th, 1998, Anaheim Angels manager Terry Collins and Kansas City Royals skipper Tony Muser were each suspended for eight games because of a bench-clearing brawl and actually two, if not two-and-a-half, bench-clearing brawls during a June 2nd game that resulted in 12 ejections. The only thing more offensive than uh, the players' and coaches' behaviors that that evening at Kauffman Stadium was the Angels' periwinkle, pinstripe, Disney-owned and inspired uniforms. Vomit. Bleh. And June 5th, 2016, Kimbo Slice passed away of heart failure in Margate, Florida at the age of just 42. The mixed martial artist became an internet sensation with his street fights. Rolling Stone called him the king of the web brawlers. And he was uh, one of my favorite fighters, if not for any other reason, but that my uh, first friend and mentor in this business was named Kevin Ferguson. And Kimbo Slice's real name? Kevin Ferguson. There you go. This day in sports history for June 5th. All right, let's talk a little bit about the NBA's plans to return. The uh, 22-team invitational only tournament, I suppose, is what we'll, we'll talk about. July 31st is the assumed or planned on tip-off date. A little uh, over a month away, a month and a half to go here. Uh, the 22 teams will be invited to Orlando, Florida, where they will live and play and practice inside of Walt Disney's ESPN Wide World of, Wide World of Sports complex, which has over 200 hotels, by the way, in that area. So there's plenty of accommodations for everybody. But what they decided was the 16, uh, eight Western Conference, eight Eastern Conference teams that have already... Uh, that were already qualified for the playoffs, or well, they didn't clinch, but had the better, the best eight records in each conference, and then they added six more teams that are within six games 
of the playoffs. The only Eastern Conference team on the outside looking in is the Washington Wizards, who are within six games, and so they'll get to participate in the what is planned to be eight quote-unquote regular season games before the playoffs begin. They'll also then have, uh, if, if the ninth seed is within four games of the eighth seed, those teams will play against each other for a play-in to become essentially the, the eighth seed in the playoffs. Although I have not seen if they have uh, absolutely officially decided on if they're going to just do Eastern and Western conferences or if they're going to list all the teams 1 through 16 and go about it that way. It does seem that they were, they're more likely to just stick with the regular parameters of Eastern and Western conference matchups yeah, though that's not the way I would go about it. But there's an amazing piece, a great work done by ESPN reporter Ramona Shelbourne, who uh, laid out how vital it is in business, especially sports business, and especially during a pandemic or other extenuating, extenuating anomalic circumstances like a worldwide pandemic is, to have good relationships with uh, all walks of life, all different backgrounds of people, all kinds of experts in all kinds of different categories and areas. The title of the piece is How Adam Silver, the NBA Stars, and Owners Negotiated These Playoffs. To give you the Reader's Digest, though, I do highly recommend you go on to ESPN.com and read Ramona's piece in its entirety. To give you the Reader's Digest version, you've got Adam Silver, the commissioner of the NBA, You've got Chris Paul, the Players Association president, and you've got former Disney uh, chief, Bob Iger. The three of them know each other very well, individually and collectively now. And here's how, here's how it went down. Obviously, I- Iger running uh, Disney for so long, he had that relationship with the NBA because of, uh, of uh, there's not many businesses bigger or more important to the economy around the world than the NBA and Walt Disney. And so, of course, they've spoken and, and been on calls together in, in different conferences or whatever. But also, the television contracts between the NBA and ESPN, which is owned by Disney. So there's the little background there with Iger and uh, Silver. And it goes beyond that. Bob Iger actually met his wife, Willow Bay, while she was the host of uh, an NBA television show that Adam Silver was in charge of back in the day. Then, when Chris Paul was traded to the Los Angeles Clippers, he sought out Bob Iger, uh, not specifically, but asked around town for people who could be serve as a mentor for him in the business sense and uh, by uh, order of elimination got to Bob Iger and Iger reportedly claims that he told Chris Paul uh, there's you're, I'm, I'm not there's a lot of people that are lined up for me to be their mentor he, talk about ego there but he's probably he's not wrong it's just egotistical to say so but he told Chris Paul there's a long line so if you're not serious don't waste my time well apparently Chris Paul proved himself serious and he and Bob Iger now uh, reportedly text about seven times a week and talk four times a week, according to Iger, who said he considers Chris Paul a very good friend. Well, when Chris Paul and Bob Iger have a good relationship, 
and Adam Silver and Bob Iger have a good relationship, then you add in the fact that Adam Silver and Chris Paul have always gotten along and have not always agreed, but have always learned to be able to compromise with each other's interests and uh, wishes. Then you've got a perfect, good kind of perfect storm, I should say, for a matchup uh, or a marriage down in Orlando at the Disney complex. Now, Disney still has to approve of the plans. The NBA's owners and board of governors have approved of the plans. The players now have to approve of the plans. There will likely be some tweaking as to the dates and financials surrounding next season before the players uh, go ahead and pass, pass completely off on this Orlando plan starting on July 31st. But for all intents and purposes, it looks like by this afternoon, this evening, or early next week, this will be a fully in-motion set plan for the NBA to start up on July 31st. So just really cool that in one professional sports league in the NBA, you've got these uh, men and women in Michelle Roberts who understand the vast importance of networking and relationships and keeping your your uh, pulse on all walks of life and all walks of business and paths. And then you've got Major League Baseball who prefers to be on their own little island. The players don't like the owners. The owners don't like the players. The commissioner isn't liked by anybody. And it's just interesting to see one league that, that actually was the first league to shut things down, of course, with Rudy Gobert being quote-unquote patient zero, at least the first NBA player confirmed to have coronavirus uh and they're also going to then be the first it appears professional sports league back baseball lost their chance to be able to lead out of this and i know that it was important to adam silver to be the one to lead out of this as the nba he's shared that publicly time and again and it looks like the nba is going to get their wish there so really cool there are some owners that are upset that it wasn't all 30 teams that were invited. There are other owners who are glad their teams weren't invited. Somewhere in the middle is the Atlanta Hawks, whose owner, and I, I'm spacing his name. I think his last name is Wrestler. Uh, yeah, in fact, I should probably know it. I, I shouldn't probably guess. Tony Wrestler, yeah, Atlanta Hawks owner. He says, look, we're a young team, and we want to get better, and the way you get better as a young team is by playing basketball. So we would like to play, but we get it, and we're not going to stand in the way of the rest of the NBA returning. And so he voted yes. The only team to vote no was the Blazers, who wanted uh, who wanted more uh, red tape to have to work through and cut around to get a return back. I don't know. The Blazers, they're weird. Their ownership and management has always and always will be a little bit different. And kind of the... Uh, upsetting uh, upsetting of the apple cart type franchise when it comes to these type of things. But uh, the Tony Wrestler also understands be, uh, the from the pandemic side of things because his brother in his mid-60s and very healthy caught COVID early on before they knew too much about it and passed away, unfortunately. So Wrestler's like, look, while as much as I want my team and my team wants to play, we also understand we got to keep it as safe as possible. Now, I'm here to tell you, there's, uh, there's data, there's science attached to leaving eight teams out reduces your chance of spread by this much. I don't know the numbers, but I guarantee it's there. 
You know what reduces your spread down to nearly uh, zero is to not have the NBA return until there's a vaccine. But that's uh, the problem that I myself am still somewhat grappling with. And I think too many of us in society are not understanding that with this virus, we have to find a way to get around the fact that there's no virus. Michelle Roberts was brilliant in this quote that she gave to Ramona Shelburne for this piece when she said, I think we started with the players not even thinking for a minute that the season was not going to resume. It's really been an evolution of emotional reactions from one extreme to another. Complete disbelief, complete ignorance, and not taking it seriously, like all of us, to gradually coming to a point where, okay, what are my real options here? They completely get the science and they completely get the risks, but they're doing something that every American is ultimately going to have to do and say, how do I live in this world with this virus that is not going to be eliminated by a vaccine on Thursday? Close quote. That is the wrestling match we each uh, and every one of us has right now with the pandemic and the virus. How do we live our lives, not recklessly, but carefully, while also not holding up in a bunker until this vac- the, the vaccine is available? How do we carry on with some form and level of normalcy until that day comes along? Because we can't just hide with our number 10 cans of fruit and vegetables in the basement until the vaccine is out. Because even then, a vaccine does not guarantee that the, no one gets it. It just makes it less likely to die. And that, look, I, I've been telling, and I, I wrestle with this in my personal life. Do I go back to church with my young child and my wife and myself who I've got asthma? My young child was born and had to sit in the NICU for a couple weeks. They had to intubate and breathe for her for nearly five hours after she was born in an emergency C-section. My wife had a lot of health issues during her pregnancy that she still still linger in her from time to time and she has to deal with, including shortness of breath. Uh, and this is a respiratory illness. Do I go back to church and sit elbow to elbow with 300 of my neighbors during a, dur- during a pandemic? I, I can't consciously do that. I can't. And I, I applaud those who can. And I ask for those to not that look at me and don't judge me for not. I just don't see myself going back to that environment until there's a vaccine. Or at very least, an antiviral medication that will guarantee all but guarantee i should say that my wife my child and myself will not perish if we contract covid19 so anyway it's this but that quote from michelle roberts every american is eventually going to have to say how do i live in this world with this virus that is not going to be eliminated by a vaccine on thursday i think that that was an important quote and a really great thing for us all to think about and hold uh, in our minds as we traverse these these turbulent times uh, with a pandemic out there. There was also another lesson that I think applies to the other uh, big news item in, in our world right now, and that being of social and racial injustice and inequality. There was another quote in this piece, and it again comes from Michelle Roberts, who, who said to, uh, who told Ramona Shelbourne about the relationship 
between her and Adam Silver and the players in Adam Silver and uh, and uh, back and forth and how they can compromise. And she said, quote, I've never viewed it as you, the league, let me know what you want to do and we, the union, will decide. We are actively engaged in conversation with the league about this. Let's talk about what you think is important. Let's talk about what we think is important and see if we can come together with some protocols, close quote. To make a very loose uh, tie-in to the racial and social injustices and inequality that are going on in our day and age right now. That is that, that should be on a lot of people's minds. As you see protests or you see people angry about the protests or at the rioters or, or when you see people angry at the police or when you see politicians spouting off at the mouth at each other over this, as you see all these all this different uh, uh, turbulence that comes from such an important cause and issue, think about what Michelle Roberts said. They don't look at it as, all right, you figure it out and then we'll say yes or no. They look at it as, you've got things that you find important here. We've got things that we find important here. Let's come together, hear each other, accept each other, validate each other's uh, beliefs in what we think is important, and come to an agreement. Now, where where it is, why I say it's loose, is racial and social injustices and inequalities should not be a compromise. It should not be where you get some of what you want, but not all of what you want. No, equality means literally everybody gets the same opportunity until they squander that opportunity by breaking a law or otherwise. The problem, and the truth is, not everybody has that same starting point of equality. And that should never be a compromise. But what should be a compromise is when you hear someone talking politically, religiously, business, uh, economically, uh, spiritually, whatever, and they and they dis and they, and it differs from what you believe on that subject, give them room to be heard in your head and in your heart, because I guarantee you would also like to be heard. And even though you may not convince each other that your way is the right way, at least you're talking. Michelle Roberts and Adam Silver represent are in a, in a unique situation. Michelle Roberts represents the players. Adam Silver represents the owners and still has to also have a good relationship with the players. You have to be able to be heard and to hear in order to get progress done. So there you go. Just a couple things that stood out in that piece that I thought applied to everyday life as well, not just the NBA world. Yesterday, I shared with you the comments made by Drew Brees about uh, flag and anthem protests and how he completely missed the mark on those things and and totally swung and missed on an opportunity to add another feather to his cap of being a really great in-touch, in-tune person. I don't think he needs to be jailed or ostracized from society, but rightfully so, he received backlash for those tone-deaf comments. And he issued an apology and said and admitted that his uh, remarks missed the mark. Uh, But his apology, and I'll read that in just a moment, is going over well with some players. Other players, it's not enough. And as it says at uh, CBS Sports, uh, in fact, who wrote uh, the piece at CBS Sports? Jason LaConfora. 
said, now, now that his social media apologies are out of the way, the real work begins. Uh, and, and that's absolutely the case. Because Drew Brees, while he issued an apology, he read it. And that doesn't mean that he doesn't mean it. It doesn't mean that he didn't write it. But anytime somebody reads an apology, I just, it, it doesn't sound as genuine as I would like it to sound. But I wanted to play uh, Drew Brees' uh, apology that he posted on Instagram for you now. I know there's not much that I can say that would make things any better right now. But I just want you to see in my eyes how sorry I am for the comments that I made yesterday. I know that it hurt many people, especially friends, teammates, former teammates, loved ones, people that I care and and respect deeply. That was never my intention. I wish I would have laid out what was on my heart in regards to the George Floyd murder, Ahmaud Arbery, the years and years of social injustice, police brutality, and the need for so much reform and change in regards to legislation and so many other things to bring equality to our black communities. I am sorry, and I will do better, and I will be part of the solution, and I am your ally. Now, again, it it helps to be able to see that delivery as he has it on Instagram. He is reading. There are, he's clearly got notes. Um, he's not reading all of the words word for word, but he is referencing notes. But I don't think that that means he doesn't mean it. What I think it means is that he spoke off the cuff about his dislike for protests around the anthem and the flag, and this time decided perhaps it's better if I write out my statement before I just uh, share it. Uh, and that's he's being extra careful, I guess is what I would say. Uh, so that he doesn't cause it to be even more of a problem and be be even more tone deaf with his thoughts and opinions. Because I, I just believe that Drew Brees is a good person, has a good heart, and is not racist. And I do believe him when he says he's sorry and that he regrets sharing his dislike of protesting the flag and the anthem, but wishing he had also mentioned and paid honor to George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, Breon Taylor, and others who uh, who are now being rallied around, whose deaths and murders are now being rallied around for social and racial injustice and change in this country. And Drew Brees missed the mark by not doing that in the first place. He's now issued this apology on Instagram. He then will have to go to work every single day with black teammates and apologize with his words, yes, but more so his actions. And honestly, I have no doubt that Drew Brees will do just that. Uh, It was an unfortunate moment for him. It was an unfortunate moment for the black community to see somebody who has done so much for them and their families to to speak about Colin Kaepernick's protest in in a negative way rather than say, well, this guy tried to show us to three years ago and we didn't listen then. We need to learn from that and listen now. Instead, he just talked about how he did not like Kaepernick protesting in the way he did and didn't mention the uh, hope that he has for social change and equality for all. But I think Drew Brees will learn from that and uh, we'll go forward from there. And I don't think that we've heard the last from a professional athlete, a politician, or a celebrity of any kind or at any level 
putting their foot in their mouth and misrepresenting their true feelings of heart with a few misplaced words. And we're going to have to give room for all a lot of people, and myself included, as we learn how to be better uh, listeners and, and followers rather than leaders. Drew Brees has been a leader his whole life. This is a new thing for him to have to be a follower and a supporter rather than the leader of the team uh, on this particular fight. And uh, I'm, I'm impressed that he had the wherewithal to say, yeah, that, that I blew it and I'm ready to follow and listen now rather than talk and lead. All right, and final topic for today, college football. Will it or will it not take place? What will it look like if it does take place? NCAA President Mark Emmert told congressional leaders uh, on a conference call Wednesday with House Republicans, uh, he and several professional sports executives updated lawmakers on each of their restarting plans in what Steve Scalise, representative out of Louisiana, is calling an encouraging phone call. Uh, Scalise, who's taken on the role of sports within the White House's tax task force to reopen the economy, spoke to Sports Illustrated on Thursday about the call, which included the likes of Emmert, Roger Goodell, Gary Bettman, Jay Monahan of the PGA, and NASCAR President Steve Phelps. Scalise emerged from the call with confidence that the NFL and college football will play this fall with fans in the stands, though they may be wearing masks and receiving temperature checks while entering stadiums. College football, meanwhile, could be missing some of the 130 teams that make up the football football bowl subdivision, Emmert told leaders. Quote, there are some schools that might not play football next season, and that's their choice. They'll then have to modify the schedule to work around that. They're working through that right now, but most want to start back again, and most schools are working towards bringing students back in the fall, and that's a big driver too. You want to work with the schools so sports aren't ahead of academics, so you can do both at the same time. Close quote. All right, well, here's the real problem. You can't just make decisions based solely on money. You can't. It needs to be a factor in the decision, but it can't be the only factor. It can't be the loudest factor or the most uh, important factor. You've got to be uh, a, a human. Human factor has, has got to be the lead, lead factor here. Is it going to be safe? Is it going to be doable? Can you have enough testing? Will you have enough protocol in place to uh, uh, help those that might become infected? We're already seeing, I think, five Alabama football players have come down with coronavirus since returning to activities on campus in the last couple of weeks. That's, that's a small number compared to when you have all of the students back on campus with them and in classes and going to school and then filling up the stadiums. Please, uh, it's, my, it's my opinion that we should not be filling up stadiums until there's a vaccine or a very strong antiviral medication that all but mitigates the, uh, uh, and eliminates the death factor with COVID. Once we get to that, we can open up the stadiums. Now, are they going to be able to do these in a limited stadium opening basis? Perhaps. Maybe you have, instead of, 100,000 LSU games, you cut it down to 50,000. Well, that's still every other seat filled. So then what do you cut it down to, 25,000? And you go every fourth seat? Uh, is that enough space? What about using the restrooms while you're there? Or the concessions? Or, or whatever? Yeah, and, you, and this just in, it's been proven that singing, yelling, shouting, talking loudly, those things spread 
the coronavirus quicker than picking it up off of a surface. And what do you do at sporting events? You yell, you scream, you sing, you shout. Oh, I almost sang the BYU fight song there. You rise and you shout. <laughs> and you are a Utah man, sir. And will be till you die. Uh, we'll leave that at that. We don't need to make a, a, bad, a poor a joke in poor taste about death. But the idea of filling stadiums scares me. And I wonder how much the dollar is driving the hope and the decision on that rather than it being a benefit of a decision based in medical data. That's just my, my worry and fear about college football filling up stadiums this fall. All right, that is it for a Wear Red Friday. Hopefully you're, you are wearing red. Remember, everyone deployed is what red stands for. Coming up on a military Monday, by the way, I am so excited. We'll be talking with Antoinette Stapley. She's a gold star widow of Army First Sergeant Tracy Stapley, who gave his life uh, in 2013 for the cause of freedom and liberty around the world uh, while he was stationed in Qatar. She, Antoinette, his wife, his widow, runs and operates the Operation Hero Foundation, which, if you know anything about that, it's a display of service members' boots who have passed away. It's a traveling display, and it is it is so special, and I'm so excited to give Antoinette the platform on Monday to talk with us and share her thoughts and feelings on this great country with us on a military Monday. So tune in. Uh, then to hear from Antoinette. And I'll have some more sports stories for you as well as these things are just starting to cook. We've got the NBA all but in motion. Major League Baseball all but on the edge of yes or no. Major League Soccer is coming back. NFL and college football seem to be ready to go in this fall. These are good times. Tides are The tides are stemming and the, the tides are turning. Actually, the current is turning, whatever stupid uh, nautical analogy you want to throw in there. I'm Austin Horton. Thanks for tuning in. I'll see you on a military Monday. Until then, be good to each other. Time now for the laugh of the day. <laughs> Whatever your team says they are, that's what they should have to be. If you're the if you're the San Francisco 49ers, your entire team should be 49-year-old men. That's it. <laughs> Just in the huddle complaining about hemorrhoids and bad backs, losing every Sunday to teams like the Vikings, like real Vikings. Horns coming out of the helmet. Chicago Bears should come out real bears with helmets on, playing against 11 dolphins just dead on the field by halftime. Just a stench in the stadium.